This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's Web Radio Station site. This morning, we are going to talk with Bob Morrow and Goya Massa about growing veggies in in space. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And Bob, you're in uh, Wisconsin, right? And Gaia, you're, you're down in uh, Florida with the space station. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, That's correct. Okay. Um, well, Bob, let's start with you um, about how you um, went through the track of doctoral degree in botany, um, which I guess leads most people into terrestrial research rather than space-based ones. So how did you end up um, into that field with the space ones? Well, my undergraduate work was in botany and environmental biology, and then when I started my graduate work uh, for my Ph.D., I was in horticulture, and the laboratory I was in specialized in controlled environment agriculture, so that's growing under electric lights with hydroponics, uh, temperature control and humidity control systems. And so that, you know, kind of fed in directly to building and designing hardware systems for growing plants, uh, both on the ground and for uh, research on the, you know, space station or the space shuttle. Oh, so I guess that that was your um, your fir- first pos- position. Um, so um, how about how about you? Uh, got, uh, did, did you become interested um, in working with plants in space from um, from the high school, or and how did that um, concept get started? Sure. Um, when I was actually in junior high school, um, I took an agriculture class in seventh grade, and my ag teacher had been invited to Kennedy Space Center for a teacher training program about growing plants in space. Uh, it was something they invited agriculture teachers from across the U.S., and we were pretty local. I grew up in central Florida. And he brought back around 40 hours of video and all sorts of information about the different research that was growing on here at Kennedy Space Center for food production and bioregenerative life support systems. So I was just hooked at that point. Um, and after that, I, I helped build some hydroponic systems in, in junior high and high school, looking at vegetable production and in horticulture classes, and then... I, I went to Cornell University um, to study plant science, and and then I, I did a little bit different work for my PhD. I, I studied plant biology, and I looked at plant responses to gravity, but on a more fundamental level. But then I came back to my agricultural roots um, for my postdoctoral research uh, to to get back into the larger crop plant work. 
And and so um, I guess the the idea of getting plants to grow in space. I mean, we've been sending people to a space station for quite a while. And so has there always been then an an interest in getting plants there? And, and when did that start to become maybe more of a an idea and become more of a reality for the space stations? Go for it, Bob. Well, I could start out with the early... Um the earlier history, I mean, the interest in getting plants in space really goes back at least until the mid to early 1950s, uh, where there's a lot of conjecture about how would we keep people alive in a, you know, lunar base and, uh, you know, that type of setting. And over the years, the plant scientists began to look at development of these bioregenerative life support systems and identified areas that of knowledge gaps, you know, that we, we needed to solve to be able to successfully grow plants in a space environment where the uh, gravity is lower and the radiation levels are higher. And from there, uh, they began to, um, you know, as soon as there was access to space, they began to do small-scale plant experiments to kind of answer those uh, and resolve those problems. And, Joey, I don't know if you want to kind of give the where it's gone since the beginning of the you know space station era, right? Well, I mean, there's been a lot of, of sort of basic research on plant biology, and and actually Bob is is really an expert. He's had you know several space flight experiences, um, and the, the the research has been on you know fundamental plant responses to gravity, and also more applied work on crop um, use or uh, crop growth in space, but we're recently developing new enhanced and larger tools to be able to study plant production in space, and Veggie is the first of these um, that, that both Bob and I have been working on, and then there's another one in the pipeline that's an even more highly controlled large plant growth chamber, which will allow us to get a lot more data, but Veggie is really targeted for the first time for the U.S. hardware on, on food production specifically. Uh, the Russians have done some, some work on this area as well, and they also have a long history of plant research in space. And, and so I guess the, the idea of um, getting these things to, I mean, usually in a home environment, you know, getting seedlings to germinate is sometimes a hit and miss thing. Um, and, and growing, uh, particularly in a home environment, you know, light is always the, the biggest issue. Um, so is some, does the space station, um, Joya, um, does that always have maybe light on one side of it and dark on the other, or is it is radiation um, more critical, or, or what? Well, that's an excellent question. Um, you've 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 heard Bob talk about electric lighting, and and a lot of our work really focuses on electric lighting, and there are several reasons for that, but. The space station, as it goes around um, the Earth, it has sunrises and sunsets every 90-some-odd minutes. So it's a very chaotic (laughs) day-night cycle. And that would be really challenging for plants. Um, And the other reason that we're we're not using sunlight is because 
it's also very difficult to get the sunlight into the station. You know, station is a very protective environment because you have no atmosphere outside. So we don't have a lot of windows. The astronauts do get to look out the windows sometimes, but they, um, they, you know, there are very few windows. They really enjoy having them, but they're a potential leak point for the station or a potential point for damage to have a, a big effect. So we use electric lighting. Um, we, we use LED lighting, light-emitting diodes, which have a very long life, and um, they're energy efficient, and plants grow pretty well. Um, under these LEDs. There's been a lot of research on that. So, again, light is very important for space, but it, you know, it's not the only condition that we have to think about. Um, we also have to think about, about water and atmosphere, and those are actually really critical and difficult things in space. The light behaves pretty similar to what it would do on Earth, but the water and the atmosphere are very different, and that's been a big challenge in space research. Yeah, and, and I would imagine, um, you know, being, being down in, in Florida, um, do you get um, to talk about, uh, I guess, plants with those that have been, been into space and, and the, the reaction? Does the interest go beyond just getting sort of testing plants um, and, uh, you know, the, the, having fresh ve- veggies. Is there, is there more to it than just grow, growing something to eat out there? Well, that is a very good point. Um, actually, though, I have to, to, uh, to correct a misconception. The astronauts are not located in Florida when they come back. They, they actually are, live and work in Houston, and then they, they come to Florida for the launches, but we don't unfortunately get to interact with them <laughs> okay. as, as much as we would like, you know. But we do develop, we've developed the questionnaires and to try and get that feedback on how they, they like growing the plants, how, how having something green and growing in this, this sort of sterile environment in a very sort of stressful environment in some ways can be beneficial. And so we are going to get data on that from the veggie, which is flying right now. We, we don't have too much feedback yet, but from other anecdotal evidence from um, crews that have flown before, many um, of them respond very favorably to having plants. They say how much they enjoy having the plants, harvesting the plants, seeing the plants growing. Sometimes they don't actually enjoy harvesting. They feel like they're losing a crew member when, <laughs> when they have to kill the plants, you know, or to preserve them for, for scientific data. Um, we have had astronauts um, grow plants as a hobby, and so especially um, comes to mind Don Pettit, who flew uh, a couple years ago on the space station, and he brought up his own seeds, and he germinated them in space, and he actually uh, kept a blog called The Diary of a Space Zucchini, which was the, you know, essentially living in space from a zucchini plant point of view. It was a very <laughs> cute blog, and I encourage your readers to go look for it online. Um, but he, he, you know, really enjoyed having plants growing there, and, and I think that's a very important thing for um, a lot of people to have something green around to look at and to kind of feel like they relate back to Earth. I think Bob probably has some anecdotes from the crew from his flight experience on on how they enjoyed working with the plants. 
That's right. We, uh, on our uh, biomass production system plant payload uh, that we flew on the space station in 2002, uh, the crew members, you know, commented quite frequently about how they enjoyed working with plants and the bright light. And they actually put a lot more time running that experiment than they were scheduled to because they enjoyed it and, uh, and you know, did some of the work really on a, a hobby basis on their own time. And, and so the, these weren't gardeners then before they actually fa- found themselves no, with a, a kind of the green plants out there, or were they maybe gardeners that just happened to be uh, in the space program as well? Well, the ones that we uh, worked on ours weren't really, um, did not have previous experience really or, or, you know, weren't hobby gardeners. And so they just seemed to, you know, it was up there, and they're, they're in this environment that's, filled with all this high-tech equipment and, and noise, and it's uh, not very well lit, and so they just um, found themselves kind of gravitating towards the, <laughs> the macro systems and, and really, yeah. you know, really enjoyed working on it, and other crews on other payloads have said the same thing. Uh, it was a joy Peggy Whitson that commented quite frequently uh, during her missions about yeah. how she enjoyed working with the plants. So. Yeah. A lot of times they will have their photos taken with the plants as well. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> But, you know, guys, we have to go for our first commercial break here. Um, but, everyone, we're talking with Goya Massa and Bob Moreau about growing veggies in space and America's homegrown veggies. We'll be back in just a moment. Quick Steaks, that's Q-U-I-K Steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at America's Homegrown Veggies. And if you miss any shows, you can find them on americaswebradio.com webpage. And you can find them on iTunes and Stitches. And this morning, we are talking with Goya Massa uh, from the NASA Space Program and Bob Morrow, a scientist with a company called Orbitech that uh, grows things for space. 
Um, and we talked in general about the need, I guess, for, for plants. And I love the idea of having your picture taken with, with a plant in space. I mean, we've, we've seen enough of the Earth from space, which always looks beautiful, but I've never seen a, never seen, seen a spaceman with a plant on his, in his hand. But uh, we'll have to look for those. Um, but uh, let's start, Bob, with what the veggie pillow, which is developed by your, your program, what actually is it? I mean, how would you describe it? It just looks like red to me. Um, is, is, that, is it colored red or, or what? Well, the the whole system, the whole veggie system, which is the unit that's flying right now, uh, the concept of that unit was to have something that didn't require a lot of resources, you know, that could grow food for the crew. And so we wanted to try to minimize the amount of uh, hardware that was in it. So we developed a capillary-based watering system that has essentially a, a big bag of water with a wick on it, and then the plant pillows sit on top of that wick. So we have six plant pillows, and each of the pillows has uh, a clay material that we use for growing plants. It's a particulate clay, and the plants are planted in there, and the water wicks up through the, from the reservoir bag up through the wicks into those pillows, and uh, thus it's a passive system. doesn't require any kind of equipment. That way... The only actual control that we're providing is for the lighting system. And this is unlike other plant growth systems that we've flown in the past. And, in fact, the, like the one we're building uh, right now that Joy and I are working on, where there's a lot of pumps and valves and you know, a lot of computer control. And those are much more complex experiments. They, I mean, or plant growth systems, they allow you to do uh, a lot um, different types of research, but the veggie system, we want something simple that the crew could use easily and, if necessary, could be folded up and, and put away on the station temporarily. So that's kind of an overview of the, of the system itself. And so does, yeah. the, does, the clay, does the clay material actually contain um, the nutrients for the plants as, as well, if you're just adding water to it? Uh, Yes, it, well, it actually has a slow-release fertilizer uh, pellets distributed through that, and uh, Joy could uh, provide you some uh, more detail on that if you okay. on how that works. And she's involved in doing a lot of research on that end right now. Okay. Yes, and, and well, just to sort of give a, maybe a better um, overview for your listeners, we should clarify because Bob kind of mentioned, but the veggie as a whole. Is, is the lights and the watering system and this transparent, extendable, collapsible bellows, which helps contain humidity. And then the pillows are the part of it that, that sits on that watering system and, and is kind of your grow bag for your plants. Um, but, yeah, the fertilizer that we're using, it's a controlled-release, commercially available fertilizer, and, you know, we did testing... Um, with different types of this clay media and other types of growth media and the fertilizer at different different rates to see what would work well um, on the ground. And so right now we're testing to see if the same thing works well in space. Um, and it's just a, a regular commercial fertilizer and the regular commercial clay media because we want to use commercial 
things that have been proven to work as much as possible, um, you know, so that, that they can be easily adapted for space whenever we can do that. Um, and then that pillow, it, it's got um, some wicks in the top, and those wicks penetrate all the way through that, that internal media, and that's where we put our seeds. The seeds are planted in between those wicks. We glue them down, and then the, the wicks and the media help establish a water column initially, and as the plant grows, it takes over that wicking function. Um, so that's kind of an, an overview. Yeah, um, well, it sounds like a fascinating um, setup. Um, but how do you control? Is it a, a sealed unit where all the gases and things are controlled from the outside, and you can adjust the nitrogen and the oxygen or and the, the moisture level within it, um, or, or is it something that you can actually open up, um, pet the plants, and then close it back down again? And it doesn't throw the whole system of a space station, which is a closed system. It doesn't. It's not enough to throw all, all the um, environmental things out of whack. Right. Well, the the system as it's, it's designed now actually uses um, the air that's conditioned by the space station to uh, control the plant environment. So it has the the collapsible bellows surrounding, and what it does is it draws in air from the space station that's already at the proper temperature and it's at a certain humidity level, and it has carbon dioxide in it, and it draws that in to the plant environment and then exhaust it back out into the cabin. Uh, the, the root moisture just stays uh, the same based on the, the wicking action, but we're using the cabin environment really to provide the, the carbon dioxide and the, the temperature control. Now, if we had a, a lot bigger veggie, then that may have a, an impact on the space station because what we're doing is requiring the space station to process the you know, excess humidity we're providing and any heat that our, our payload is putting off. And so uh, right now that's because of the size of the unit, that's not a problem. But if you expand it to a large plant growing area, you would have to have additional space station systems to, you know, process the, uh, the materials being put out by the chamber. Yeah, so, so, so you couldn't get it to a farm size up there. Um, but, no. yeah. Um, so I guess with... Um, the the pillow it it has the seeds already in it on these uh, glued down wicks. Does that mean that maybe um, they can pick the sort of uh, crop they want? If one particularly likes kale and the other one likes maybe bib lettuce, um, they can figure out what they want before they take off. That would be ideal. Um, we would love to send a variety of different vegetable seeds up there, and, and the astronauts could choose what they like, or they could give us things that they they want us to send. You know, um, we're not there yet. We're just doing the initial verification of the hardware, and then, you know, we anticipate that that the crew are going to like this, um, and that they'll want something like that, some way to do that. But we also have to study the food safety aspects of growing plants in space. Um, the, the seeds and the media and the pillows that we send are all very clean. Everything is planted under a very clean environment. But the crew are not 
sanitized before they're sent up there. So there are a number of bacteria and other types of microorganisms that live on the space station, and many, if not all of them, are human-associated. Um, with the enhanced radiation and other stresses of the space environment, bacteria have the potential to mutate more frequently than they do on Earth, and humans that live in space given the stresses, sometimes can have reduced immune systems. Um, so one of the things that we are looking at in this very first test is, are the plants safe to eat, um, you know, and what, what types of things would we need to think about for sending other types of vegetables up? So for this very first test, the crew are not going to be allowed to eat the produce that they're growing. We're going to have them cut it off and freeze it and bring it back so that we can look at what might be living on those plant leaves because we have this nice, warm, humid environment with a lot of light, and we're, we're worried that, you know, there could be something on there that might harm the crew. We think it's unlikely. We think it'll probably be just fine and cleaner than the produce you would get at your grocery store, but you have to remember there's no way to wash vegetables in space right now. So we are also looking at ways that they could potentially clean their produce before eating it for this future scenario. Oh, wow. That sounds like it, it would be, um, I, I guess, a little bit of a, a prob problem up there. Um, but are we talking predominantly um, right now um, the, what would be called the cool weather veggies, kind of like the salad type stuff, or with all, all the container um, vegetables like tomatoes and things that are coming out? Do you envision that you might be able to, in a year or two, be able to use some of those smaller um, container plants? Well, absolutely, because the, um, there's a number of uh, dwarf container type of uh, cherry tomatoes and even uh, peppers that uh, could be used. And I know Joy has been uh, starting to do some work on, on some of those crops also, I believe. Yeah, and we've also uh, looked at things like herbs and, and even flowers. You know, if, if there's a delay in how soon the crew can eat the produce, um, we think, well, maybe we'll have some flowers up there they can just grow for enjoyment. And we actually did send some plant pillows containing zinnia seeds up on this first flight so that while they're waiting for us to get our food safety data, um, they can grow some flowers and enjoy having them around. Oh, that, that sounds great. And I love the idea of herbs up there because may, maybe they could just sprinkle some on their dehydrated um, food source that they've got right now. That, that would be just enhance it just that little bit maybe um, to make it more palatable. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we agree. And, yeah, and um, you know, in space, they tend to lose a little bit of their taste sensation because of the uh, fluid accumulation in their heads and microgravity. And so, you know, anything you can do to kind of spice up the food to give it a little more flavor is, is desirable. Yeah, apparently they love hot sauce and Tabasco and things like that. And so that's one of the, the, the most highly um, desired things to be sent up, that and fresh vegetables. They do get some fresh vegetables sent up from the ground, um, you know, things that are a little bit sturdier like uh, carrots or apples and they they love that. They love having the fresh produce as part of the diet because their their packaged diet, you know, just it gets a little bit 
um, monotonous, I think, after they're there for a long time. You know, the food folks do a lot of work trying to get really good, varied, interesting diets, but... You know, having fresh vegetables is is, is a very uh, desirable component. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine so. Um, but, you know, we need to take another quick commercial break here. Uh, but I want to remind you, you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggies, and we'll be talking more about growing veggies in space with Joy Trejo, Massa, and Bob Morrow in just a moment. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's FoodLink was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. Quick Steaks, that's Q-U-I-K Steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talk- talking with Joy Massa and Boy Mor- Bob Morrow. Um, and obviously, guys, this took a little bit of getting perfected, shall we say. Um, how many different um, talents did you have to draw in? Um, if, we're, if It looks like it's a, a polymer type, type thing and you've got, um, you know, uh, diff- different um, experiences. Um, did you have to dra- drag in different talents of di- from different fields to make this happen? Or did you have enough in- in-house experience with hydroponics to be able to do it? Well, our... Our company has a, a wide range of engineers and technicians uh, since, you know, we basically build systems for space flight. And, and a project like this, uh, in addition to the scientists like uh, Joy and I, uh, we would have mechanical engineers who would do the physical design and of the system along with an electrical engineer and software engineer that do the controls and the software. And then we have um, technicians that will actually build the hardware and test it, and uh, at that point, they turn it over to, you know, somebody like Joya, who then starts doing the the plant testing, and um, she has her own, you know, group of individuals she works with to uh, do that that testing and validate the function of the system, and I'm, she could probably better explain who who those types of people are. 
sure. On the on the NASA side, we have um, well, we have a, a lot of different folks as well. Um, for the science, in addition to the plant scientists like Bob and I, we also have a microbiologist to look at that food safety aspect. And we even had some um, fluids physicists involved in this, helping us do the fluids modeling process and figuring out how the water would flow. Um, and then there's a lot of people that are involved to, to bring this to a spaceflight environment, and those are people like project managers and payload developers and people who do all the paperwork um, that has to be done and all of the certifications. It's a, it's a very complicated process. We have specific individuals who help with the crew procedure development or crew training videos. We also have people from the crew office and from the human factors program who have to look at everything and make sure that it's all safe for the astronauts to use and, and easy for them to access the controls and things like that. So it's actually a, a really big team. And then now that we're actually in space, we have additional people. Um, there is a group at Marshall Space Flight Center in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, and they're the ones who communicate with the astronauts on the space station to make sure everything's operating correctly. And, and we will be on console, so we talk to them, and then they talk to the astronauts. So if there are any problems or questions, there's a, a big uh, communication kind of process that, that things go through. So it's, it's actually a much bigger endeavor than I ever imagined when I started in this. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and uh, I, I guess um, you know, it, with it being—is it sort of collapsed when it goes up? And how how big is it? Is it very weighty? Because obviously, uh, when you send up one of those rockets, weight is a, a a big factor. Does it have to take the water up with it, um, which increases weight, or or does it just kind of inflate when it's up there? Well, the the system itself soars to a size of about you know. 20 inches by 18 inches by 6 inches, and weighs, I don't remember, Joy, maybe about 30 pounds. Um, Something like that, yeah. And so that's a fairly small, considered a small and lightweight payload. The water, um, I believe, they're pulling from the space station water supply itself and using, if I'm still correct on that, Joy. Yeah, that's correct. We send everything up dry, including the, the plant pillows with the seeds. Those are all dry as well. And then the astronauts are getting water from their potable water source on station, and that water is always being recycled. Station has a, a very good capability to recycle the water. And so they pull water from that clean water source, and then they added it to the plant pillows um, to activate them to start the seed germinating, and then they also add it to the reservoir periodically to keep um, those seeds, you know, out having them wick water from that reservoir as they grow. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I guess, um, have you found um, any difference um, between, um, it, it, you've obviously tested a lot of plants from space, um, does it... It, does it really affect them maybe with their upward growth? Uh, usually we assume plants go to light. Um, does, does it work in the same way in space because you provide the light above, so to speak? 
That's, yeah, that's an excellent question. And a lot of the research that's been done on plants in space has been looking at, you know, what is the impact of not having gravity? Um, plants use gravity in, you know, in, as, as a very big signal on Earth. The roots grow down because of the gravity signal and the shoots also grow up because of the gravity signal, but the light, as you say, is, is a very dominant signal. In space, what we've found is that um, generally plants will grow okay if you can get their environment correct. And so light does serve as the main signal for the shoots in space. Uh, roots, you don't want to have light. They will grow away from the light, but, it, you know, if they're in a dark environment like our plant pillows, they, the growth is very disorganized. They will key in on other stimuli like water or nutrient levels. But getting that environment is actually really tricky, and that has to do with the way that fluids and gases behave in space with an absence of convection. And Bob can probably speak more to this, but that's been a big problem in spaceflight experiments in the past. Right. The um, uh, In the... The zero G environment, the water distribution in the root zone is is totally different than it is at one G, and so you have to make sure that you provide a a good mix of water and air in the root zone. And if you have too much water, uh, which can happen in, in microgravity, you'll you'll push out the oxygen and the uh, you know anaerobic condition, which the plants don't uh, do well uh, with. And then, in fact, in early plant experiments in space, that was a substantial problem. Uh, the lack of gravity also means there's there's no buoyancy, and so removing heat from the, the hardware systems, or if you're trying to control temperature uh, around the plants, you have to find alternative ways to do that, generally by using fans to, to move air and distribute air. Otherwise, uh, even things like the carbon dioxide levels would be drawn down right around the plant, and if you don't have mixing, which you don't in microgravity, you have to provide that mixing with uh, hardware, and again, generally fans of some sort. So it's, obviously it's a lot more complex um, when, when, you're, when you're up there. Um, but along the way, when you were developing this, um, I, I guess, um, can it be adapted to maybe terrestrial situations? I'm thinking um, post-earthquakes and um, post-major uh, events, you know, being able to get um, or very dry areas. Um, can it be maybe adapted to maybe get emergency um, fresh food to different areas. <laughs> yeah, we've actually kind of adapted this from what we would call controlled environment agricultural systems, you know, that have been developed on Earth, really. Um, but some of the technology, like the LED lighting, a lot of that's starting to be used in greenhouses uh, and other growth systems on Earth. And, and all the early work in, in LED lighting development for plants was really uh, done by NASA back starting in the uh, early 1990s, and that's now been uh, starting to spread into the actual agricultural market. And some of the hydroponic system aspects of it can certainly be applied in emergency you know, food production systems, uh, and there's a lot of work on that, but not, uh, not directly derived from something like the veggie system. Yeah, I think hydroponics... Weren't they actually started around 
World War II on some of the islands. I remember a story about that where yep. there was a lot of work because there wasn't a good food source on some of the islands. I don't know if you know more of that. Bob. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There's a good article on that, um, but they did a lot of it during World War II in the Pacific. Yeah, mm-hmm. growing vegetables and things. Yeah, um, and so as, assuming that I guess everything goes well on this first flight, do you, do you imagine that this is going to be a standard in onco or the ongoing flights um, after you've done your first test, Gloria? Yeah, definitely. Um, that would be something we would we would like. Um, this veggie hardware, it's going to serve kind of a dual purpose. It'll be up there for the crew to use. But it's also something that scientists on the ground can apply to use. So we have um, these calls for research proposals that NASA puts out periodically, and people are, uh, you know, suggesting or, or, or proposing experiments that they might do in veggie in space to look at different aspects of plant growth. You know, especially focusing on these larger plants that are generally, you know, what you would want for your food crops. So these experiments could be by plant scientists, by food scientists, by microbiologists and food safety experts. And we would expect to see, you know, a number of those experiments in veggie in the future. In between those experiments, what we would like is to have the ability for the crew to use veggie to just have their own sort of recreational garden. Um, we're, we're still working on getting that in place, however. And and I, I would imagine that um, you know have, having this this veggie up up there, particularly once you've passed it for the food safety, um, it, it would be great great for them to have um, you know the, the fresh vegetables already up. Um, but but we would still be talking in the the as far as you can see right now, um, just the the leafy veg, veggies. You wouldn't be thinking of carrots and potatoes up there at this point, right? <laughs> Well, the veggie pillow system is, is pretty narrow for the root growth. It's about, you know, an inch and a half, two inches in depth. So, and it's really great for shoot crops, for things like leafy greens. Um, we can make bigger pillows, but generally that's bigger in, in width and, and area, not bigger in depth, because the soil physics, you know, gets complicated. The moisture and the wicking gets a lot more complicated if you try and go with a deeper depth. So we're really only looking at, at shoot crops, but we, we are looking at things like dwarf tomatoes or peppers, like Bob said, some of these reproductive crops, as well as just the fresh vegetables. Right now, the astronauts have no way to do any cooking in space. <laughs> There's no cooking facilities. So all of the things that we're thinking of for veggie right now are things that could be eaten raw. Yeah. Um, well, I would imagine that uh, actually cooking up there would be a bit of a, an issue. But, you know, we need to take yeah. our final commercial break here. But come back, everyone, and listen to more about growing veggies in space after these messages. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. 
Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. I hope you're... I hope you're enjoying America's homegrown veggie show this morning. We have been talking with NASA plant scientist Joey Massa and Bob Morrow from the company Orbital, which makes veggie pillow for use in uh, space. Um, so, guys, um, do we en- envision maybe um, that one of these modules is going to maybe be a full-time garden stroke mini farm up there with perennial plants like blueberries and, and things? like that well not not yet right now we only have one veggie um, on station um, but ultimately we would love to have that scenario um, we want to see how how well the crew enjoys it if, if we have to make any changes to the hardware so that's why we're doing this initial hardware verification test to see does anything need to change were there were there any issues or problems and then after that um, you know, I think we'll be dependent on, on how the crew responds. If the crew really likes it, we'll have a lot better chance of getting more veggies onto Space Station in the future. Um, but, again, we'll be doing some science, but we would like to have a recreational kind of garden area for the crew as well. So that would be that would be great. And some of the plants, like you mentioned, do take a lot longer to grow. Um, even tomatoes are going to be growing for a few months rather than just the short growth of a lettuce cycle. So it would be nice to be able to have long-term growth of things. We've even been looking at dwarf plum trees that could potentially produce fruit inside of veggie. Um, So something like that would need to be able to grow for a long period of time. So, 
yes, if we could get more units up there and have, you know, one or more devoted to a full-time garden, we would just love that. You, you could have your own gardener up there as well. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Um, well, I mean, is there, is there an, maybe um, an idea of, of expanding, uh, making bigger pillars? I think you said there were two sizes right now. Um, but could they be adapted so they'd be big enough maybe for a, a human to actually walk into, or are they still going to be um, quite quite small, Bob? Well, there. Uh Really, that's kind of the next generation of plant system. Uh, right now, the, the station as it stands, um, you know, we'll have a system up there that's what they call half a rack, which is about the size of four veggie units. And that's about as big as the current equipment on the station can handle. Uh, ultimately, we're looking at things like outfitting uh, small modules that could attach to the space station that would be large enough for a crew to go into that could have plants, but there's nothing you know, definite in the works for that. But that would be the next evolution of these plant-based systems working towards uh, the development of and understanding of what we call bioregenerative life support systems, which are uh, systems that use plants to provide, you know, atmospheric revitalization and water purification in addition to providing food. Yeah, and, and actually we, we were talking in the, the break, I, I guess there's no pollination up there, um, which would also be, you'd have to hand pollinate everything, right? I think they use what are called bee sticks, is that right, Bob? Right, yep, there are actual parts of bees glued to a stick that they have to hand pollinate, and of course that takes a lot of time, and, and crew time is pretty limited, so you, right now you can't have anything that takes too much time to, you know, the culture and the, um, you know, if you have to do a lot of pollination and that sort of thing. So there are ways that we need to look at that. You know, we can fix up fan-type systems to do, you know, anything that could be wind-pollinated. Um, but, again, you can't be pumping uh, pollen all over the space station, so then you have to have filters <laughs> to move it. So it gets, you know, kind of cascades as you oh, yeah. enlarge the system. Yeah, um, I, I would imagine that would be a pro- problem if you've got pollen flying around, people sneezing everywhere. Um, but, but I mean, you, you guys both came up through a background in, in basically horticulture and, and whatever. Um, if somebody was maybe interested in coming into this field, um, would, would you recommend um, may, maybe that they stick to horticulture or could they come in maybe through biology and, and physics as well because it's a very science-based community? Um, how how would and is there an expanding? Is it a, a field that's expanding such that it's w- a sort of w- welcoming graduates as, as many as they can get? Well, um, there is a a graduate program that's funded out of NASA headquarters, which is NASA Technology Research Fellowships, and this is um, something that you know students could look into getting because it's really for for our work um, a lot of it is the plant science side of things or the biology side but then there's also the technology side it's really kind of on the the, the cutting edge between the two areas so even though Bob and I are plant scientists we have had to learn to talk to engineers fluently <laughs> in engineering terminology, and 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 actually that's a, you know a little challenging because we use different units for measuring even simple things like light. So we had to get everybody on the same page to work in this type of an environment because we have to 
fully understand the capabilities and the limits of, of the technology, of the hardware, you know, which types of lights are more efficient and how do you program things to be able to give the right environmental stimuli to the plants. So we're both very involved in the controlled environment plant growth community, which is really the area that, that is at the interface between the engineering side of the, the plant growth and the science side of plant growth. So that would be my recommendation. Um, there's not a lot of positions like the ones Bob and I have, but there's also not a lot of people working in this area. So I think that um, we're always interested in getting new people who are passionate and, and interested in this type of research. But you do have to be kind of stubborn. I think both of us have had to be very um, focused on, on, on doing this work to get where we are because it's not the easiest path to take. <laughs> And, uh, well, I, I, I guess, um, you know, with, um, with so many courses out there, um, may, maybe, um, if they came up through, through the botany side, um, and, and the plant side. But what about maybe, um, there, there's, uh, recently there's started to be interest in private, um, space travel, for instance. Um, do you envision maybe that, um, you know, although NASA has got a very controlled program, that eventually, um, some of these other, other private enterprises are going to maybe start looking at this type of thing as well? Uh, definitely, and, and some of them already are looking out to the future, and uh, there's certainly uh, interest in, you know, ultimately being able to provide facilities in space, private facilities, you know, that would have uh, plant aspects to it, plant growth aspects, either, you know, for true enjoyment or uh, to resolve some of their, their issues as far as uh providing some food, and, and actually you can even use, uh, like, the system, the water system or the hydroponic systems for growing the plants. Uh, water is a good, uh, pretty good radiation shield, and so, you know, they're looking at things like green walls or water walls where you can have, you know, and you have plants growing along the outer edge of the, the space vehicle, and that actually helps shield a little bit from radiation. So oh. there, there's definitely interest, and in there's not much work right now being done, but... I think there will be in the future. So, so it's it's getting there, but it's obviously it's going going to be um, as as maybe the space program takes off um, a little more over, over the particularly the private sector. Um, maybe, maybe that that will encourage people to go to go into this. Um, do, do, do you envision though that it's it's going to maybe trans, transition from pure science up there? Let's see what the plant does to something that well, let's just put the plants up to maybe for them to enjoy and to to. Just to eat and go go past just the pure research side. Yeah, I think we're actually already there um, with with veggie and with some of the other uh, hardware that's flown. You know, I I think we're, we're we're either getting there or we're already there because veggie, unlike other systems, is really much more low low controlled. You know, environment. It's much. Um, it's designed for lower energy usage, so we're not using all these pumps and motors and sensors and everything. It's very um, passive, and it's designed for the crew to just look through and to open easily and to enjoy. So it's not a tightly scientifically controlled environment like previous types of, of things that have flown. 
Um, so I think I think we really are there, um, and and you know I think that the data that we get are going to be a lot more relevant for how the crew enjoys things because most of the plant hardware that's flown before has been kind of sealed inside a box that they had to physically open a door and they were only allowed to do it on certain days. And so now they're, they can walk by and see the plants growing anytime or float by and see the plants growing anytime. So I think we'll get a whole different perspective on, on crew response with this hardware. There's a lot of interest from the crew, in the, even in the more complex payloads, trying to make the plants more visible on a daily basis, you know, uh, to the crew, though, so, you know, the next system we're building, the larger system that's um, being built on a Kennedy, uh, with Kennedy Space Center, uh, they wanted a large kind of door that they could see into if they, they wanted to, to see the plants. And I, I think it's great, great that, um, you know, when, when, when it goes from the pre research and, and just, just doing it for the enjoyment, um, I mean, it, it really gives a kind of a sanity, uh, break, may, maybe, um, and you can may, maybe fool yourself that, uh, you're in, in a normal, um, environment, albeit that you can't look out of the window. Would that be right? Yeah, um, definitely. The, the plants really kind of establish some other signals, I think, to the, to the crew, even if they're kind of, not as obvious as you might, you know, go, oh, it's, it's a plant, but it's just having that, that green growing plant there that changes a little bit every day, you know, can help you keep track of the passage of time better. You know, when the sun rises and sets every 96 or so minutes, um, it, it gets really confusing about whether it's day or night. But if you can kind of say, oh, the plant flowered for the first time today, you know, that, that can be a really neat signal. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, I, I think we're, we're probably right at the the end of the show, guys. Um, but I, I I want to thank you both. I mean, it's, it's it's such an exciting field. I think that you guys are both in, um, and I, I think it's great for the astronauts as well. So th- thank you to to you both, and uh, I'll look forward to updates on uh, what the veggie is doing. Um, but but everyone, we'll be back uh, next week with more about growing veggies, probably more the earthly variety. And so have a good gardening week, everyone, and join me back here next Saturday. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.